Well, we've heard um, this passage before, but uh, some of these we'll just keep going back through. Uh, Isaiah 53 for sure. But even this passage from 1 Peter uh, chapter 3, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, or the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. I do pray today that as the song just... Um, reminded us of that the word of God will um, speak to us and overcome unbelief even in us. All of us have some unbelief. And we need to we need God to overcome that by his word. Um, in his work The Satisfaction of Christ A.W. Pink highlights some results of the atoning work of Christ and I want to walk through these to hopefully uh, in a positive way, begin to wrap up these lessons on the atonement that we've been talking about for the last several weeks. Um, that word atonement, of course, we've covered it, but it's basically summing up the work of Christ um, toward God on behalf of sinners. So when we say the word atonement, um, that's what we mean, that God um, was reconciling the world to himself through Christ. And that Jesus fulfilled everything that he was supposed to fulfill. Everything the Old Testament pointed to. He lived a sinless life. Perfectly obedient to the law of God. Died as a cursed sinner on the cross. Though he was not a sinner. But died in our place as a substitute. And because of that, God has received his sacrifice on behalf of sinners. And thereby put the righteousness or imputed Christ's righteousness toward those sinners he died for and counts them now as his children and brings them into his family. It's a beautiful doctrine. It's so deep and touches every part of every doctrine. And so that's why it's really hard to know where to stop this and uh, where to keep going and just what to do. So when we think about this passage, though, um, in the results of the atonement, how it affects us. That's kind of what we all want to know at the end of the day. Okay, well, what does this have to do with me? Christ suffered for sins once, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. So bringing us to God is a general expression for the accomplishment of the entire work of Christ, what he did for our salvation, both in the fact that he removed all the hindrances that kept us from being saved, and at the same time, he bestowed all the requisites that we needed to be saved. So there was a negative and a positive, right? There were some things that we needed removed. There were some hindrances in between us and God. But there's also things we needed to be given. So God removed sin, for example. He removed enmity. He removed the distance that was between us. But in the process, he also gave us justice. He gave us Righteousness. He counted that toward us. He gave us Christ's righteousness, not our own, which is important. So there's four areas and really words that kind of help sum up and express the accomplishments of the atonement on our behalf. And I've already sort of mentioned them, but they are these reconciliation, remission, redemption, and righteousness. All enmity had to be removed between us and God. We went astray. God never moved. 
we became his enemies because we sin. All that had to be removed. That's reconciliation. Our sin brought guilt. We were guilty before God and his law. So all the guilt of our transgressions had to be canceled. That's where remission comes in. Thirdly, it was necessary to be delivered from the bondage which sin put us in. The Bible is very clear. You not only sin, but you're in bondage to it. And you can't get out. You can do nothing but sin. And your sin just compounds. So we needed to be redeemed out of that bondage. So with this word redemption. And finally, it's very clear in the passage that we're looking at today. Second Peter. We need to be made legally righteous. Because we were legally unrighteous and unjust. We had broken God's law. So these four areas are summed up as the essential results which Christ has secured for us in his atoning satisfaction. So we're just going to look at these four areas briefly this morning. Reconciliation. It's a big word. It's a great biblical word. What does it mean? Well, we probably can guess. It means to bring together again those who were alienated. To reconcile two objects that have been alienated. In this case, two persons. God and us. It can mean to reunite those who are at variance. We are certainly, we came into this world at variance with God. We were sinners and God's not. It means to restore by removing that which hinders agreement and fellowship. So when we read these simple words, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. There's a lot in there. There was a lot that Christ was doing. And one of the first things to note about this reconciliation I've already mentioned is that we caused the enmity. We were the problem. We were responsible for this variance. Yet it was God who sought us out and brought us back to his fellowship. And I know we've been talking about this um, perhaps ad nauseum. But I just want to always remind or be mindful and remind all of us, myself included, that I played and you played. And nobody's ever played any part in being brought to God. God reconciled us to himself. Very clearly. Colossians 1 and 20. Through him, through Christ, God was working to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. God has reconciled everything. Sin messed up everything. God reconciled everything. What did Paul say? Even creation groans for salvation. For the day that it will be set free from the bondage of sin. I laugh whenever, or to myself, whenever I hear all the um, global warming environmental talk. Uh, I know why the environment's messed up. Sin messed it up. So only Christ will fix it one day. And I'm not saying we should be irresponsible by any means, but the whole world's groping for what have we done and what went wrong. And just read Genesis 1 and it's clear what went wrong, what happened. But just a good reminder that reconciliation in this case, now often in human affairs, it's a mutual agreement. But this was not a mutual agreement between us and God. Not even did God make us capable of doing our part. 
God did everything necessary to bring us to himself. Everything. God didn't need to change. It wasn't him meeting us halfway. This is another reason, by the way, why our works can't play into this. It's not like God did a little, we did a little, so we can fix each other. We're the only ones that need to fix it. Only God can fix it. So he brought us to himself. He fixed the variance. He fixed the distance. He didn't change his mind. Reconciliation was not God deciding, okay, well, I won't do what I thought I would do before. No, what happened in reconciliation is that the enmity was quenched. When he reconciled all things, he put to death those things which were a problem. The distance he bridged, that which was hindering us from getting to God, God did away with in Christ. So God didn't have to change. There has been a change of relation between those for whom Christ died and the judge of all things, but God himself didn't change. Justice has been satisfied. A, a, a perfect punishment received and counted satisfactory on behalf of those whom it was offered. That's what it means to be reconciled to God. God destroyed everything that was in the way to bring us to himself. That's why it's very correct to say, by grace you are saved through faith, that none of yourselves, not of works. You couldn't have done how do you bridge an eternal gap that's been placed between you and God? I mean, we can't even make an initial step. We wouldn't even know how to begin that. So God did it. He reconciled all things to himself. I love that, that, that the Bible said that. Just in case you're wondering, there's nothing left anywhere to be done. It has been finished and complete. All things reconciled through the blood of his cross. Second word, re remission. Part of these, all the things that have been fixed. This cancellation of our guilt. Now reconciliation and remission are closely connected. As I've already said, all of these ideas and points of doctrine within the atonement, they're all connected. You can't pull anything out. You know, you can't just say, well, this one's not important. It, it doesn't apply to the atonement. All of them apply and are necessary. We needed not only to be reconciled, but we needed our guilt remitted. 2 Corinthians 5 and 19 says, In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. So part of what he did was put to death the enmity and destroyed all of that and fixed this gap. And part of him... Fixing it was not counting their trespasses against them. Had our trespasses been counted against us, guess how we would have been found? Guilty. So that which was the ground of reconciliation is equally the ground of pardon, and necessarily so. Reconciliation implies in its very nature a release from the punishment of sin. If you've been reconciled, then what was due you is not counted towards you anymore. This is true even in human relationships. If two people have been reconciled, what you have said is, we have a problem, but we're not going to hold each other accountable for the problem. We're just going to reconcile and be made good. In this regard, God reconciled us to himself. And in the process released us from the punishment of the sin that we deserved. 
So God lays aside his anger, which would have been toward us because our sin has been put away in Christ. And again, it's not that God just changed his mind. It's that all that needed to be satisfied was satisfied in Christ. That's why we can't get away from that term. Satisfaction of Christ. The satisfactory uh, atonement. The substitutionary. God's wrath and his justice had to be brought down somewhere. So it was brought down on Christ. God didn't change his mind. He just changed our position. He brought us to himself. This is a sovereign prerogative of God as judge. God acquits the believing sinner from all liability to suffer punishment as a satisfaction to his law on account of the fact that the satisfaction of Christ has been applied by the Spirit and appropriated through repentance and faith. And again, this is why the Bible says not even your faith is a work. And not even your repentance is a work. Because God appropriated what needed to be done on your behalf through repentance and through faith. By grace you're saved through faith. Not by faith. God gives us that avenue and it's a gift from him. God declines to deal with his people according to what justice required for their sins only because he has received full compensation for them from Christ in their place. You know why Paul would say, I'm a debtor? This is why he recognized the debt I owed has been paid, but that put me in debt to Christ. Why would I not live for him and serve him? He took my place. Because the divine creditor has received full payment from their surety. That's in our song that we just sang. The debtors are discharged. The remission of their sins is a cancellation of their guilt. The legal discharge. A removal of the obligation to suffer the wrath of God. The sinner for whom Christ has died is handed down a verdict from the lawgiver. The lawgiver, the great lawgiver, the sentence is now remarkably not guilty. I don't think we should lay around and grovel in, or grovel in our guilt. But it ought to still amaze us that God says to us, you're not guilty when we know we are guilty. And that's why our faith and our hope is always turned to Christ because I am guilty, but Christ is not. So I've been, we're going to talk about this, I've been purchased out of what I should have paid and the debt I owed and I've been given grace instead. Not guilty. We can say along with the psalmist, blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute sin. Because if our sins were imputed, we would be crushed under the weight of judgment. The New Testament word translated remission means ascending away. And is sometimes translated cleansed or delivered or even set at liberty. What a beautiful, what more beautiful language can be used to describe the believer in Christ. When our guilt is removed, we are clean, we are set free. And so Romans 8, there is now no, therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ. We are free from the condemnation that we deserved. So in Christ, every claim of the law against the believer has been perfectly met. 
So that now grace reigns. Not at the expense of righteousness. But the Bible says grace reigns through righteousness. That's the amazing part. I'm not righteous. No, but Christ's righteousness has been counted toward me. So grace I receive. Not because God said, man, that guy, he's a pretty good guy. I think he deserves grace. That wouldn't be grace. Grace reigns through righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. I get grace because of Christ. It's a beautiful thing. Romans 5.21 says, So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's remission. What about redemption? Redemption is a banking term, obviously. It means deliverance of a captive by the paying of a ransom. We, we have seen this term in a, in a lot of different um, settings. But because sin is the cause of our imprisonment or our, our captivity, we're unable to make our own escape. So it was necessary that we be redeemed or delivered by a ransom. Somebody else had to pay our way out. Because we had no way to get out. And if you're in captivity, how do you earn your way out? You don't. There's no way to work and earn your way out of a true captivity. But once the ransom is paid, then redemption is secured. And one who is redeemed is one whose ransom has been paid. And if the ransom is paid, then that one is certainly free to go and will go free. Again, this idea that, well, all this has been done, but I still have to do something. If you've been in captivity and somebody opened the gate and said, your ransom is paid, are you going to sit there and think about it? No, you're going to be gone. That's why the gospel, remember, is not a plea from God. Please accept what I did on your behalf through my son. The gospel is a command. Repent and believe or you will die for eternity. God doesn't sit in heaven wringing his hands hoping that somebody will believe. Those for whom Christ reconciled, those for whom Christ remitted their guilt, those who Christ redeemed, they will come to him. And he will in no wise cast them out. That's the gospel message. Redemption. Hell is likened to a prison in scripture several times. Why again, to speak of anyone whom Christ has redeemed as being in hell is simply a contradiction in terms. If they've been redeemed, how would they be in hell? They can't be. Again, all the terms of atonement are inextricably linked. We are justified because we've been reconciled. The enmity is destroyed. We are justified because we've been forgiven. Our sins have been remitted. We are justified because we've been redeemed. All these things God has done, and he has done them, and they are complete. There's nothing left to be done. Romans 3, 24 says, And we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So we saw that justification in the Bible is connected to remission and guilt being set free from sin and forgiven. And here justification is connected to redemption. And in Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us 
from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. And this speaks to the life God has now given to us in Christ. We are free indeed. If the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. We have liberty in Christ, freedom. While Romans 5 and 10 says, For if while we were enemies, God reconciled us by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Everything that Christ did and who he is, all of it was necessary and connected to our redemption, to our forgiveness, to our justification. All of it is together. You can't pull any of it out. That's just a beautiful language. Redemption. Setting free those who have been ransomed. That's what redemption is. And finally, this word righteous or righteousness, which is clearly, uh, I read from the ESV, the King James I know says, Christ suffered for the once for sins, the just for the unjust. And it's translated here, the righteous for the unrighteous. The only way you can be considered just is to be righteous. And there again is our problem. We're unrighteous. So we are not going to be considered just. And we can't be justified when we're unrighteous. Again, even in human terms, you can't go before the judge having clearly committed the crime and him consider you justified and set you free when you're guilty and unrighteous. And so with God, who is the perfect judge, he cannot just turn his face away and say, uh, I'll skip over this one. In order for him to be just, all sin has to be punished. And all sin for all who would ever believe in Christ was punished in Christ on the cross. And the proof that God accepted that sacrifice was the resurrection. Romans 3 and 24, we have been justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We have been justified. Obviously, to justify is the opposite of to condemn. To condemn a person is not to make that person guilty, but simply announce it to be so. So to justify a person is to not make the person good, nor to infuse goodness into them, but simply to declare the person is just. So again, when God declared you just, he didn't make you just or infuse some kind of goodness into you. He declared that you are now one who has received the, just, the justness of Christ, the goodness of Christ, the righteousness of Christ. That passage in Corinthians, God made Christ who knew no sin to be sin for you that you might be made the righteousness of God in him. That imputation that we talked about. So justification is that formal sentence of the divine judge whereby he pronounces the one before him righteous. And the ground upon which God does this is the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. So God has imputed the Savior's obedience to all who believe on him. And he's done so completely according to his own free grace. The righteous judge of all the earth has been satisfied to reconcile sinners to himself, remit their sin, redeem them from bondage, and declare them righteous because of the Son who willingly and with joy endured the cross and despised the shame so that grace reigns through righteousness. 
unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Perfect righteousness has been imputed to us from God through Christ. And it is all of him. The prophet Isaiah we read earlier from chapter 53. Later in chapter 54 he says, This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. Paul said that it is in the gospel that the righteousness of God has been revealed. So we preach this message. Not in hopes that I can convince you to hear, but in hopes that the spirit, as we read in our catechism, will do its work in awakening you to the truth of the gospel and you will repent and believe. And all of us who have already repented and believed will continue to believe more. And our faith will continue to be strengthened. That's what the gospel does. That's why we preach the gospel. Now, we don't preach the gospel until a few people get saved and then we turn to preach something else. It is the gospel from beginning to end. The gospel will, will heal marriages. The gospel will heal a broken relationship. The gospel will help us raise our, and rear our children correctly. The gospel will cause us to flee from sexual impurities and uh, fornications and the things that the world is telling us to pursue, the gospel will turn us from that. Not the wisdom of your preacher. So, that's why I preach it. What a beautiful doctrine. I don't know how much more I will continue in the atonement, possibly one more week, um, and then we'll, we'll, we'll go we'll see where we go from there. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we ask your blessings on this word as we come now to the table to participate in this beautiful um, picture of the gospel that you've given to us, one of the means of grace, a way that we can see with our eyes and touch with our hands and our lips that which Christ said was him, his body broken for us, his blood shed for us. Lord, we do invite all who have been born again and baptized and who believe in Christ to partake with us and and celebrate this time together as believers as we have this in common one savior one lord one god we look to him now to give us faith and strength strengthen our weaknesses and, and strengthen our faith where it is weak god just help us to be the people that you have put us here to be and when we fail god just pick us up and put us back on a straight path lord Turn our eyes from evil and from sin and just give us a greater love for you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.